few moments, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. Americans spend literally billions of dollars on diets, uh, exercise machines, personal trainers. We're trying to get our bodies in shape. And, and you know, that's a good thing. For after all, we've got to live in these bodies, you know, for hopefully a lot of years. So we want to take care of our bodies. We want to have them healthy. We want to have them strong. And that's a good thing to do that. The, the only problem is we forget that we're more than a body, that there's an inner part to us. We're not just a body. We we're a body and a soul. And, and so many of the people around us neglect the inner part of us. And, you know, in the New Testament, Timothy, or Paul wrote to Timothy and said to him, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, home being promised for both the present life and the life to come. Now think about that. Well, we take care of our bodies, and that's good for this life. But if we take care of our inner being, that's good for this life and for the life to come. And the life to come is going to be a lot longer than we spend here on this earth. So we need to think about how can we strengthen our inner bodies. Some of the exercise therapists and trainers today talk about core strength. That if you get your core strength built up in your body, then you can use you know, the, that to help develop the rest of your muscles. So I would like for us to think a few moments this morning about how do we develop an inner core strength. Now the passage of Scripture that we're going to read is, is really a prayer. It's, it's Paul's prayer, and we've looked at one of Paul's prayers before already in, in Ephesians. So we're going to look at this a little bit differently. Instead of looking at it just as a prayer, let's look and see what he prayed about that had to do with strength, inner strength, how we get it, and how we maintain it. So keep that in mind as we read this passage. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning with verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. How do we develop an inner core strength, a core strength for our inner being. Well, Paul tells us here, he tells us, first of all, that we have to recognize that God is Father. He said he kneeled before the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. God is Father. In one sense, he's the Father of all because he's the source of life. So he, in one sense, brought us all into being. But in a special sense, for those who accept him, who receive him into their lives, then he is father. 
He, he is the Father who watches over us. He's the Father who protects us. He's the Father who provides for us. He's the Father who disciplines us. And I think what Paul is maybe reminding us here is that we can have God, our Father, as our strength coach. You ever, you ever notice how sometimes some of the great players in uh, any realm of athletics really had, had, a, had a parent that was involved in athletics or, or was a coach themselves. And, and, you know, God can be our strength coach, our heavenly Father, with us day by day, is the one who is going to strengthen us. And then he goes on and he says something else there. He says that in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Christ within and notice something, Christ within is not something that we gained by our own strength. Look at verse 16. Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. God himself gives us the power to receive Jesus into our lives to put our faith in Jesus, to let Him be our Lord, our ruler, our master, to let Him be our Savior. It's God working in us, empowering us with His Holy Spirit so that we can do that. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, I, I can't live a Christian life. There's no use for me to try to become a Christian. Well, if you're trying to do it in your own strength, there's not. This is all from God. He gives us the very power even to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. So Christ comes through the working of the Holy Spirit so that we open our hearts that Christ may come in. And notice in verse 17 that word dwell. He comes in to dwell. He comes in to live. He comes in to make this His abiding place. He comes in to remain. In other words, Jesus inhabits us. We let Him come into the, our inner being. And so our strength, our inner strength, doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from Christ within. John 15, Jesus used an analogy. He used the analogy of a grapevine and the branches and the branches bearing fruit. And He said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If anyone remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Christ lives in us. We live in Christ. We draw our strength from him. He puts his strength in us. We get that inner strength, not from ourselves, but from Jesus when we let Him come into our lives. And we get the strength to let Him come into our lives through the Holy Spirit already working in us. And then He says in the last part of verse 17, being rooted and established in love. Some of the translations say rooted and grounded in love. And the idea with rooted is you have a, a firm place where you can put a plant so that it can flourish. And with the established or grounding, the idea is a, a foundation for a building that allows it to rise tall and strong. 
And, and, and the picture he's drawing for us is, again, one of strength. You, you think about an oak tree that strong roots go down into good soil. And that oak tree can ride out the storms of life no matter what comes. Or you think of a skyscraper that's got a, a, a firm foundation and the foundation goes deep and the interstructural part of it goes high and, and holds it there so that it can stand even an earthquake. Strength being rooted and established in what? Now don't miss what you're supposed to be rooted and established in. Because this is where your strength's going to come from. Being rooted and established in love. The love of God. It's the love of God that makes all of the difference. And we allow that love of God into our lives. And it's not just the love of God, it's the love of Christ. Now, notice that it says there in verse 18 about the love of Christ. And it's, you know, the love that he showed when he was willing to leave heaven. The love that he showed when he was willing to come to earth. The love that he showed when he was willing to die on the cross and pay the price for our sins. It's that love of Christ. And notice what else it says here. In verse 18, may have power together with all the saints. In other words, we're to come together as the saints. You know, if, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you're a saint. When the Bible talks about saints, it means any Christian. You know, the, the, the Pope was talking this week about bringing two of the former popes to sainthood. And the Catholic Church looks at sainthood as some kind of a super-duper Christian. Well, the New Testament calls any Christian a saint. Isn't that amazing? Together with all the saints, you're the saints. And you strengthen one another as you come together. You know, if someone's on a diet, if someone is doing some kind of athletic training, you do better if you're doing it with others. You know, you encourage one another and, and you, you bring one another along. And when, when they start to get slide, you know, slide, backslide, you, you talk to them and get them back on track. You, you keep one another going. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church. We are to help strengthen one another. We are to encourage one another. We are to build up one another. We are to work together so that all of us become strong and the church becomes strong. Together with all of the saints. Yeah, that's a good thing, isn't it? One of the things that Joy and I noticed when we first started coming to this church was the, the compassion you seem to have for one another, the, the support you give for one another, the concern you have for one another. And that's the way it's supposed to be. You know, that's what, you know, Jesus taught us, wasn't it? You know, he reminded us of that. John chapter 13 he reminded us that we love one another. He said, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So, so we come together, together with all the saints. You know, John Wesley said that God doesn't know anything about a solitary religion. 
We're not to be religious on our own. We're not to be Christians on our own. We come together in the church, in the family of God, so that we can strengthen one another, encourage one another, help build one another up. So together with all of the saints. And then together with all of the saints, we need to grasp what? How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Think about that. You ever thought about how wide the love of Christ is? Think back about Jesus' ministry. You know, his love was wide enough so that he might reach out and, and touch a leper and said, be clean. And the leper was cleansed. And Jesus' love was wide enough to stop and to listen to old Pharisaic Nicodemus when he came to see him one night. And he explained to him that he had to be born again, even though he was a very religious person. And his love was wide enough to reach out to the woman caught in the very act of adultery and said, I'm not going to condemn you. Go and sin no more. And his love was wide enough to reach out to the hungry multitude and feed them with a little boy's lunch. And his love was wide enough to reach out to the, the demoniac who said he had a legion of demons within him and cast all of those demons out and restored him to wholeness. And his love was wide enough to take the little children in his arms, lay his hands on them, and bless them. And his love was wide enough to pray for the very ones who were crucifying him and say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And his love was wide enough to reach out to Simon Peter who had denied him, his chief disciple, denying him. And yet Jesus' love was wide enough to restore him and to give him another chance and to give him the privilege of preaching the very first Christian sermon. Somebody said, I asked the Lord how much he loved me. And he said, this much, and he spread his arms and died on the cross. That's how wide his love is. It's wide enough to reach from horizon to horizon. It's wide enough to go from the east to the west. It's wide enough to include all who will come to Him and receive Him and receive His forgiveness and receive His life. That's how wide the love of Christ is. How deep is it? How deep does it go? It goes deep enough to reach the most vile, foul, mean-spirited sinner and turn him or her into a child of God. It goes deep enough to reach us in our sin and in our rebellion and in our despair and in our darkness. And it's deep enough to come and bring us forgiveness and to bring us a heart of willing obedience and to bring us hope and to bring us light. That's how deep it'll go. How deep is the love of Christ? It's deep enough to walk with us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Whether we're facing our own death or trying to cope with the death of a loved one, He never fails us. He never forsakes us. His love goes deep enough to walk with us every step of the way. 
How high is the love of Christ? The love of Christ is high enough to lift us up so that we could be more than we ever thought we could be. It's high enough to lift us up so that we can do more than we ever thought we could do. It's high enough to lift us up so that we can love more, ever, more than we ever thought we could love. The love of Christ is high enough to take us and to lift us up, lift us up to the very throne of God to present us before the King of the universe, blameless and as His beloved child. That's how high the love of Christ is. We grow strong when we realize how wide and deep and high the love of Jesus Christ our Lord is. And Paul says, I pray that you may know that love that surpasses knowledge. That you may know that love that surpasses knowledge. That, what? How do you know something that surpasses knowledge? Well, maybe he was talking about something he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. For he said, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains <clears throat> but have not love, I am nothing. So maybe he's saying that the love of Christ is above everything else. You know, it counts more than religious practice. It counts more than knowledge of the Word of God. It's the thing that counts the most. Or maybe he's saying here that it, he's, he's not talking about intellectual knowledge. He's talking about heart knowledge. Heart knowledge goes deeper, doesn't it? Heart knowledge includes more. Heart knowledge has, has more the idea of experience. You know, I, I can study about and, and read about and observe, you know, the, what it's like for a wife to love her husband but I know what it's like because Joy will walk by me sometimes when I'm sitting in a chair and just rub her arm across my shoulders and I know she's saying, I'm here and I love you. Or I come home from work and walk in the door and she smiles at me. Many times she says, I love you. And I don't just know that with my head. I know it now with my heart. I've experienced it. I know what love is. And that's what I think Paul is saying there, that you may the, know the love that surpasses knowledge. You don't just know about it. It comes when you experience it. When you realize that Christ saved me, a sinner. That I have sinned. I've done wrong things. I've said wrong things. I've thought wrong things. You know, I'm a sinner. And Christ loved me anyhow. And while I was still a sinner, He died for me. And it's, and it's knowing what He's going to do for us and believing the promises He's given us and reminding us what's, what's going to be. And, and it's knowing, knowing because we've experienced His help when we had problems, His strength when we faced temptations, His encouragement when we're caught up in the midst of this despair. It's having experience and being able to say, He's never failed me. 
and He's never forsaken me, and He's always been there when I've needed Him. That's what He's talking about. He's talking about the love that surpasses knowledge. And we, I think, experience that love. We understand that love when we know those things because we've experienced them and when we let His love flow into us and flow through us so that we love other believers and so that we love those who are not yet believers but need to know of a Christ who loves them that much. For He loves them as much as He loves us. No wonder, no wonder the hymn writer wrote, I stand amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how He could love me, a sinner, condemned, unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. We grow strong, strong inwardly when we realize that God is our Heavenly Father. When we, real, when we let Jesus in our life and He comes and brings His strength to us. When the Holy Spirit is within us to guide us and to begin filling us with all the measure of the fullness of God Himself. And so, Paul closed with this doxology. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Do more than we ask or imagine. You know, Martin Luther said, we ask for silver, God gives us gold. We can't even think about what he might do. Why is it there? According to his power that is at work within us. His power, God's power within us that enables us to live victoriously in this old fallen world. And then he says, to Him be glory in the church. Glory in the church. That's where God is to receive His glory. He receives His glory of the church. He receives His glory of Jesus Christ. That's what he goes on and says. He receives His glory of Jesus Christ because of Christ's coming, because of Christ's sacrifice, because of Christ's resurrection, because of Christ working with people to still bring them to Himself. God is still glorified in Christ, but He's glorified in us too. He's glorified in us, the church. You remember, the church in this building, the church is you. And we are to be busy glorifying God. We're to take this inner strength that God gives us and use it as His people. And through the way we worship Him, through the way we love one another, through the way we help one another, through the way we reach out and minister to those around us, through the way that we share good news, we glorify God and we glorify Jesus as well. This Savior who has done so much for us and will do so much for us. And what we start now, what happens? It goes on for all generations, forever and ever.
We want healthy bodies. But if we're wise, even more, we want a healthy spirit. And God wants to give it to us. And maybe today you would come and say, Oh Lord, I know Jesus. I know Jesus is within. I just want more of His power. And I want to be more of a channel of His love. Or maybe you need to come today and say, I feel that Jesus is working in my life. I feel that that Holy Spirit is working in my life and He's bringing me to the place where I know I need to receive Jesus. And I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm going to open my life and I'm going to say, Jesus, you forgive me of my sin. And you come in and you begin to live within me and begin to make me into that strong person that you mean for me to be. Today you'll receive Jesus as your Savior, and as you do, you'll receive that eternal life that begins now and stretches forever and ever. Maybe today you'll say, I want to be a part of this body. I want to help this church to glorify God and to make His name known throughout our community. Respond in any of these ways as we stand and sing an imitation hymn.